Good day and welcome to the Beyond Meat, Inc. 2022 third quarter conference call. All participants will be in listen-only mode. Should you need assistance, please signal a conference specialist by pressing the star key followed by zero. After today's presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To ask a question, you may press star and then one on a touchstone phone. To withdraw your question, please press star and then two. Please note this event is being recorded. At this time, I'd like to turn the conference over to Terry Woodman, Chief Legal Officer and Secretary. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon and welcome. Joining me on today's call are Ethan Brown, Founder, President, and Chief Executive Officer, and Louie Katua, Chief Financial Officer and Treasurer. By now, everyone should have access to the company's third quarter earnings press release, filed today after the market closed. This document is available in the Investor Relations section of Beyond Meat's website at www.beyondmeat.com. Before we begin, please note that all the information presented on today's call is unaudited. And during the course of this call, management may make forward-looking statements within the meaning of the federal securities laws. These statements are based on management's current expectations and beliefs and involve risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those described in these forward-looking statements. Forward-looking statements in the earnings release that we issued today, along with the comments on this call, are made only as of today and will not be updated as actual events unfold. We refer you to today's press release, the company's annual report on Form 10-K for the fiscal year ended December 31, 2021, the company's quarterly report on Form 10-Q for the quarter ended October 1, 2022, to be filed with the SEC and other filings with the SEC for a detailed discussion of the risks that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied in any forward-looking statements made today. Please note that on today's call, management may make reference to adjusted EBITDA, which is a non-GAAP financial measure. While we believe this non-GAAP financial measure provides useful information for investors, any reference to this information is not intended to be considered in isolation or as a substitute for the financial information presented in accordance with GAAP. Please refer to today's press release for reconciliation of adjusted EBITDA to its most comparable GAAP measure. And with that, I would now like to turn the call over to Ethan Brown. Thank you, Terry, and good afternoon, everyone. Last month, we signaled that the business continues to navigate a challenging period where broader economic conditions, particularly inflation, category-specific headwinds, and increased competition have, over the past 12 months, combined to disrupt what has been over a decade of growth. This disruption has been in contrast to the year we had planned, where we expected a resumption of our strong growth trajectory as the pandemic receded in the majority of our markets. In my remarks today, I will briefly unpack what we believe are the key drivers of this disruption in our growth, the elements that we believe are transitory, and those that may be more persistent. I will then walk through the full force transition underway toward accelerated cash flow positive operations in Route 2, a sustainable growth model. Before doing so, I would like to take a moment to offer a broader perspective 
As is the case with many emerging industries that challenge the status quo, the path to mainstream adoption is rarely straight and smooth. Turbulence along the way generally does not signal a diminished long-term total addressable market, or TAM. The history of innovation is replete with examples of this phenomenon, captured across a host of disruptive technologies. We are in one such moment as a brand category and are operating with urgency and decisive action to navigate it. We do so with an unwavering focus on our $1.4 trillion TAM, the global meat market, and continued execution of our long-held goal of achieving taste and price parity with animal protein. As we seek to pivot the business to cash flow positive operations and quicken our path to profitability, we are committed to transparency and accountability. To this end, in my remarks, I will center on a clear and highly focused set of actions that we are taking, which are intended to fortify the foundation of our business and drive long-term value for shareholders. For the next several quarters, I will return to these actions to track progress, and as we advance, provide a more fulsome look at the underlying financial metrics we are using beyond free cash flow to form the backbone of a durable financial algorithm and total shareholder return equation. With that, I will now turn to a brief overview of current market dynamics. The current economic climate has not been kind to plant-based meat. The most quantifiable trend, which we believe is transitory, is a well-established history of consumers trading down among proteins during difficult economic times. This appears to be in full swing today. With persistent and 40-year record inflation in grocery stores, shoppers are seeking to dial out inflation by, among other measures, switching out higher-cost proteins for lower-cost proteins. Ribeye declines, spam rises, and so on. And while these items are on either end of the continuum, consumers are trading down throughout, generally from higher-cost beef and pork items to lower-cost chicken. In this environment, the category and beyond meat should be expected to see declines as consumers flock to cheaper proteins. Correspondingly, household penetration for the plant-based meat category, according to numerated data, slipped for a second consecutive quarter, falling roughly 20 basis points versus the second quarter of 2022. Recall that Q2 saw the first sequential decline in household penetration for the category since at least Q1 of 2018, which is as far back as the data set goes. Pining trend in household penetration holds true for us and most of our peers as well, and we have seen some brands significantly retrench or exit the category altogether in the U.S. Despite the category slowdown, there has been a tremendous increase in the number of competitive entrants and activities. As we have maintained, we believe that healthy competition within plant-based meat is a good thing as it brings investment and marketing to the category. However, in the current environment, we are not seeing this benefit of competition. Instead, more companies are pursuing the same or fewer consumers. Though we remain the category leader in refrigerated plant-based meat, the volume of competition has eroded some of our share. As noted a moment ago, a shakeout does appear to be underway and we expect more brands to either retreat or consolidate a less cluttered playing field to emerge in the midterm. A less tangible, though important dynamic is also present within the category today. As consumers intensify focus on making ends meet, health and environmental considerations take a back seat. This phenomenon makes it more difficult to broadly convey 
our core value proposition to the consumer, a topic I will return to later. To summarize the current situation, we face an economy where blistering inflation pressure is shifting consumer behavior in the grocery store, a category where competition has dramatically increased despite a broad and precipitous category slowdown, and a consumer base whose focus is understandably turned to fulfilling immediate basic needs over pursuing the broader benefits that represent our core value proposition. These trends have precipitated a substantial drop in revenues for our business, the impact of which is a series of knock-on effects across our income statement. They include a sizable reversal in expected improvements in gross margin as we contend with lower overhead absorption, greater variability of our inventory reserves, an excess capacity and related underutilization and termination fees within our co-manufacturing network. Path forward in this environment is clear, and at its foundation is a pivot from the growth above all operating model that has characterized our business to date to one that prioritizes positive cash flow and sustainable growth. This strategic shift is designed to stabilize the business, nurture our most important growth paths, and position us to drive and capitalize on renewed category growth as the economy emerges from its current state. We will use the following three tenets to underpin our path to cash flow positive operations and sustainable growth, and I will return to these in subsequent quarters to track progress. One, we are significantly reducing operating expenses while focusing on a more narrow set of strategic partner, retail, and food service opportunities and utilizing lean value streams across our beef, pork, and poultry platforms. Two, for the time being, we will be emphasizing cash flow accretive management of our inventory with a focus on profit dollars versus maximizing percent margin. Currently, we are further rationalizing our production network in the context of more moderate volume assumptions to improve overhead absorption, address underutilization fees, and support margin improvement. Three, we are applying a laser focus to our sales and marketing activities emphasizing those opportunities that we believe strike the right balance between restoring near-term growth and nurturing our most valuable long-term opportunities. Though my comments today tend to focus on our U.S. business and global partnership activities, we are applying similar measures across our EU and China operations. I will now address each of the three pillars of our go-forward strategy in greater detail. One, operating expenses. We continue to bring our total operating expenses down and expect to drive further progress. Compared to Q1 of this year, we have reduced total operating expenses by 23% from $97.8 million to $74.9 million in Q3, and we expect OPEX to fall even further in Q4 and thereafter. To date, we have instituted two separate reduction in force actions, one in August and one in October, totaling approximately 240 positions. Together, these actions represent more than 20% of our global workforce. With our most recent reduction in force, we are expecting operating expense savings of approximately 39 million over the next 12 months, excluding one-time separation costs of approximately 4 million. Although letting go of these dedicated, passionate, and talented team members was painful, these actions were necessary to right-size our organization so that we are aligned with current business conditions. Moving forward, support the execution of a more narrow set of key priorities 
while delivering further OPEX reductions, we are implementing lean value streams across the organization around our three product platforms of beef, poultry, and pork. I have, along with the team, strong enthusiasm around this implementation as lean value stream management comports well with and extends throughout the organization several of the principles of our Beyond Meat Rapid and Relentless Innovation Program. Two, aggressively managing down inventory and rationalizing our production network. We are focused on maximizing cash flow generation and profit dollars when it comes to inventory management over percent margin. Specifically, in the context of a more limited number of segments, we are testing a pricing reduction that more quickly collapses the pricing delta between one of our core products and its animal protein equivalent. We are implementing these programs in a highly targeted manner where we believe doing so will welcome new points of distribution and new consumers to our brand while increasing volumes throughout our facilities and network. We expect these activities to accelerate our drawdown of inventory, which we've already reduced by nearly 37 million since the end of Q1 and free up cash. In addition, we are taking immediate steps to rationalize our production network to address what we expect may be continued lower than previously planned growth. These activities include the further consolidation of production activities within our co-packing network, the full utilization of our own facilities by bringing in certain outsourced activities, and in certain instances, redistributing production across our network to address volume commitments. These measures are critical to improving overhead absorption and minimizing unproductive idle fees. Three, restoring growth in retail and food service through a series of targeted innovation, sales, and marketing execution. In the midst of all the noise in the broader economy and the specific challenges facing our segment and brand, it's important not to forget something. We remain an innovation engine working on one of the most powerful solutions, some of the most serious challenges facing our country and the world. As you will recall, this year we were recognized by American consumers as the most innovative company in food, as they, in the same survey, recognized Apple, Tesla, and Amazon as the world's most innovative companies across technology, transportation, and consumer goods. As such, even as we continue to reduce our operating expenses, and implement lean value streams, prioritize cash flow from inventory, and right-size our production network, we will do what we do best, innovate, as we challenge and push our way into our long-term $1.4 trillion TAM. Specifically, in retail, we plan to restore growth to our core product offerings of burgers, beef, and dinner sausage in the refrigerated set through exciting product renovation and to leverage and support these renovations by pursuing distribution expansion, certain aforementioned strategic pricing activities, and targeted marketing. These products, which generally carry the highest margins across our product portfolio, account for roughly three quarters of our total gross revenues and the majority of our retail gross revenues. Previously teased our fourth iteration of our Beyond Burger, so I'll speak more openly about that particular item now. Though we will not give a release date for our retail channel, I will say that I'm thrilled at the improvements the team has made on the broader Beyond Burger platform. Throughout its development, I've watched key customers and stakeholders come through Innovation Center, try a version of this fourth-generation product, and quickly share my belief that it's a meaningful advance toward our North Star of being indistinguishable 
from its animal protein equivalent. Though we have long emphasized the refrigerated meat case next to animal meats as one of the long-term engines of significant growth, we do not discount the importance of the frozen aisle in grocery. As such, we are bringing an increased amount of innovation to the frozen category. We are continuing to prioritize expanding distribution for our chicken tenders, which as you may recall, won the 2022 People Magazine Food Award, while adding a host of new, easy to use, delicious offerings for busy families and consumers. These include the recently announced Beyond Steak, which truly delivers the juicy, tender, and delicious bite of seared steak tips with the added nutritional and environmental benefits of plant-based meat. This brand new product, which like our chicken, was also the recipient of a well-recognized award, which will be announced soon, is now available at more than 5,000 Kroger and Walmart stores nationwide, as well as at select Albertsons and Aho divisions, with further distribution gains expected in the near future. Reinforcing our health value proposition, Beyond Steak is low in saturated fat with zero milligrams of cholesterol and has no antibiotics or hormones. And as just announced, we followed up on the introduction of Beyond Steak with the launches of Beyond Chicken Nuggets and Beyond Popcorn Chicken, which are rolling out at over 5,000 stores at national retailers like Walmart and Kroger, as well as select regional retailers like Ahold and Albertsons, and is expected to expand into more outlets in the near future. As with tenders, these chicken products deliver tangible health benefits to the consumer, including having 50% less saturated fat than the leading brand of traditional breaded chicken nuggets, zero milligrams of cholesterol, and no antibiotics or hormones. Frozen plant-based chicken is the largest single subcategory in all of plant-based meats and continues to grow at a double-digit pace so we are pleased to be expanding our presence with additional chicken items. Turning now to food service, in the last year alone, Beyond Meat has executed an impressive number of launches and tests across the globe with our strategic partners. Specifically, in the last 12 months, we have had 25 trials for permanent menu launches with nine distinct products across our beef, pork, and poultry platforms in 18 countries. Though these activities do not result in immediate sustained revenues, they represent very important seeds that we are planting for future growth. For example, across the McDonald's network, we have been busy launching the McPlant in Australia, the US, UK, Ireland, Germany, Portugal, Taiwan, Austria, and the Netherlands. And as of today, we are pleased to share that McPlant has already become a permanent menu item in the UK, Ireland, Austria, and the Netherlands. Moving on to Yum, as you know, we tested Beyond Kentucky Fried Chicken here in the U.S. early this year, and we've launched Beyond Meat Toppings with pizza locations across Singapore, Germany, Kuwait and the UAE, Canada, Guatemala, and El Salvador, with Canada, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Singapore already converting to permanent Beyond Meat menu items. Most recently, regarding Yum, we are excited to be testing Beyond Carne Asada at Taco Bell locations in and around Dayton, Ohio. The Carne Asada product represents the toil and ingenuity of many special and talented people across the Yum and Beyond Meat partnership. It was not easy to bring to life 
and getting it right was a walk through the halls of real innovation. Ideation, research, development, failure, iteration, breakthrough, and back again countless times, and then resounding success. It is something new to the world, delivering the taste, mouthfeel, and satiating experience of its animal protein equivalent. And importantly, it is being offered at the same price as its animal protein equivalent. If you are in or near Dayton, it is well worth a trip to Taco Bell to taste the future. As I round out some of the latest strategic launches, I'd like to turn to Panda Express. In early September, Panda Express brought back beyond the original orange chicken to over 2,300 U.S. locations for a limited time offering following a successful regional launch last year. As of the plant at McDonald's and beyond carne asada at Taco Bell, I encourage you to stop by at Panda Express and enjoy the absolutely delicious beyond the original orange chicken. Tasting is believing. The final piece in this third pillar of our strategy is a more aggressive and more narrowly tailored application of our taste, health, and planet message, focusing on those consumers who are most able to hear us during these difficult economic times. When I think about the first order of business in our long-term vision, building meat from plants that is indistinguishable from its animal protein equivalent, I am confident that we are advancing year by year. And when I think about the next critical step in our long-term strategy, driving down the cost of goods of our products so that we sell at or below price parity with animal protein in at least one category, I'm equally confident we are advancing the goal that I set three and a half years ago. Where we need to do better and will do better is in connecting with the right consumer at the right time around the very real broader benefits of going beyond so that we can make the leap from early adopters to the early majority. I believe this to be the case with both our health and planet messaging as a brand and as a sector. With health, we've allowed special interest groups to have a field day seeding doubt about the health profile of what they call fake meat. I'd like to spend a moment on this point. We care about our ingredients and are proud of our process because we care about health at the very foundation of our brand. I return to, for example, recent research conducted at the Stanford School of Medicine. As part of our five-year plant-based diet initiative with the university. In the first clinical trial published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition in August 2020, researchers reported declines in LDL or bad cholesterol and TMAO when participants switched from animal protein to plant-based beyond meat over successive eight-week periods. TMAO is a compound that forms in the gut and has been correlated with heart disease and certain cancers. As we move forward, we will be announcing a major partnership with the National Health Organization and taking other steps to highlight to consumers the tangible health benefits of Beyond Meat. Two, we need to do a better job helping the consumer better understand the connection between our products and climate. Again, focusing on the right consumer at the right time when we have the greatest chance of being heard. The climate impact of our food production system exceeds that of our transportation system globally. Correspondingly, plant-based meat 
is one of the most immediate and powerful tools available to the public for addressing climate change. Here again, I return to research, which I shared earlier, conducted at the University of Michigan in 2018, where the team performed a life cycle analysis of the original Beyond Burger versus a quarter pound U.S. beef burger and found that producing a Beyond Burger not only generated 90% fewer greenhouse gas emissions, but also used 99% less water while requiring 93% less land. As I have long maintained, marketing is a lot easier when it's true. And in our case, as these and other data points suggest, we have a very real and compelling story to tell consumers on health and planet. What you'd expect from us going forward is more pronounced, narrowly targeted messaging around taste, health, and planet directed towards those consumer segments most likely to listen to our voice. In closing, last month, as on this call, I signaled change in our growth strategy. Namely, after a long period of investment, I've set a clear target for our company to achieve cash flow positive operations within the second half of 2023. My decision to accelerate positive cash flow operations and ultimately profitability is simultaneously a recognition of today's challenging economy and tomorrow's opportunity. We are and will be here for the long game. To reiterate, the three main pillars we're using to advance positive cash flow and implement a sustainable growth model are one, continued reduction in OPEX and a narrowing of focus on key strategic partner, food service, and retail opportunities while making further efficiency gains through lean value streams across our beef, pork, and poultry platforms. Two, emphasizing cash flow accretive management of our inventory with a focus on margin dollars versus maximizing margin percent and concurrently rationalizing our production network in the context of more moderate volume assumptions. Three, narrowing our sales and marketing focus to a core set of activities that we believe strike the right balance between restoring near-term growth and nurturing our most valuable long-term opportunities. I look forward to returning to our call in the new year to update you on our progress across this critically important pivot and plan. With that, I'll turn it over to Luby our new Chief Financial Officer and Treasurer, to walk us through our third quarter financial results in greater detail and reiterate our outlook. Thanks, Ethan. We recorded net revenues of $82.5 million in the third quarter of 2022, in line with the updated guidance we shared on October 14th and representing a 23% decrease compared to the third quarter of 2021. This result fell short of the expectations that informed our outlook on our Q2 earnings call, primarily as a result of weaker-than-expected demand in the category, and especially within our core subcategory of refrigerated. In addition to overall category softness, and as we shared in our October 14th press release, net revenues during the third quarter were also negatively impacted by increased competition, certain customer decisions such as reductions in targeted inventory levels and postponed and or canceled promotions, as well as delayed and or canceled product promotions and introductions relative to our prior plans. In aggregate, total volume sold during the third quarter of 2022 
declined 12.8% compared to the year-ago period, primarily as a result of the factors I just described, while net revenue per pound decreased approximately 11%. The decrease in net revenue per pound was primarily attributable to strategic but limited price reductions in the U.S. and broader list price reductions in the EU, increased trade discounts, unfavorable changes in foreign exchange rates, and to a lesser extent, changes in sales mix. Turning to gross profit, gross profit in the third quarter of 2022 was minus 14.8 million, or minus 18% of net revenues, as compared to 23 million, or positive 21.6% of net revenues in Q3 of 2021. Gross profit in the third quarter of this year was negatively impacted by approximately 7.2 million, or minus 8.8 percentage points of gross margin, of underutilization fees and one-time termination costs associated with certain co-manufacturer agreements, of which approximately 5.9 million was related to Beyond Meat Jerky. Including such underutilization and one-time termination costs in total, Beyond Meat Jerky contributed a gross profit loss of 5.8 million, or minus seven percentage points of gross margin during the period. As Ethan alluded to, the decline in overall gross profitability is largely emblematic of the swift and meaningful deceleration in demand, which has necessitated a significant curtailment of our production volumes in short order. Generally speaking, it is the combined pace and magnitude of this volatility that presents the greatest challenge from an operating perspective, as it is difficult to adjust and or right-size the production network at a commensurate pace. Overall, cost of goods sold per pound was $5.60 in Q3 2022, compared to $4.19 in Q3 2021, or an increase of $1.41 year over year. We estimate Beyond Meat Jerky accounted for approximately 47 cents of the increase, with the remainder being driven by increased manufacturing costs, including depreciation, increased materials costs, and, to a lesser extent, higher transportation and warehousing costs. The increase in manufacturing costs, including depreciation, is primarily reflective of the volume deleveraging impact I described a moment ago. As an example, although COGS depreciation expense in Q3 increased by approximately 13% sequentially, on a per-pound basis, depreciation nearly doubled versus Q2. While this is a single example of just one component of our COGS, the theme is generally true across our other COGS buckets and is informative of the potential impact our efforts to stabilize growth and right-size the network could have. Moving down the P&L to OPEX, operating expenses for the third quarter of 2022 were $74.9 down 2.7% year-over-year and down 10.3% quarter-over-quarter. The year-over-year decrease was primarily driven by lower selling expenses, which include our cost of outbound freight, and non-people general and administrative expenses, partially offset by higher marketing expense and restructuring costs, which consist mainly of legal fees. The sequential decrease in operating expenses was driven by reduced people expenses, including stock-based compensation, lower general and administrative expenses, and lower selling expenses, partially offset by higher marketing expense and restructuring costs. As announced in our October 14th press release, we made the difficult but necessary decision to implement a secondary reduction in force, which impacted approximately 19% of our global workforce. 
Through this action, we expect to generate approximately $39 million in operating expense savings over the next 12 months, excluding one-time separation costs, which will largely be incurred in Q4 2022. As a result, we expect total operating expenses to be in the mid $60 million range in Q4 of this year, subsequently falling to the low $60 million range per quarter thereafter. Moving further down the P&L, loss from unconsolidated joint venture increased to $8.7 million compared to $0.6 million in the year-ago period and $1.4 million in Q2 2022. This line item relates to our joint venture with PepsiCo, the Planet Partnership LLC, or TPP, and in the latest quarter reflects an increase in inventory reserves at TPP, as well as planned increase in marketing. All-in net loss in the third quarter of 2022 was $101.7 million, or a net loss of $1.60 per common share, compared to net loss of $54.8 million in the year-ago period, or net loss per common share of $0.87. Cents. Now turning to our balance sheet and cash flow highlights. Our cash and cash equivalence balance was $390.2 million, and total debt outstanding was approximately $1.1 billion, as of October 1st, 2022. In Q3 2022, inventory decreased to 247 million as compared to 254.7 million at the end of Q2 2022 and decreased from 283.8 million at the end of Q1 2022. The inventory decline was driven by continued progress in reducing our finished goods and work in process balances partially offset by an increase in raw materials and packaging. In terms of cash flow, for the three months ended October 1st, 2022, net cash used in operating activities was $34.7 million, a $35.9 million decrease compared to the year ago period, and a $35.8 million decrease compared to Q2 2022. As we have communicated, cash consumption continues to be a key focus area for us and although we expect to drive further improvement over the next several quarters, we expect cash used in operating activities to increase sequentially in Q4 2022, as the benefit from collection of receivables in Q3 is expected to meaningfully moderate. Within cash flows from investing activities, capital expenditures totaled $18 million in Q3 2022, compared to $52.9 million in the year-ago period, and we invested $10 million in our joint venture pursuant to the second tranche of our predetermined capital contribution schedule. We expect to invest a further $6.5 million in the JV, split equally across the fourth quarter of 2022 and the first quarter of 2023. Let me now provide some commentary about our 2022 outlook, as well as some high-level comments about 2023. We will provide further details regarding our 2023 outlook on our fourth quarter earnings call. As previously communicated in our October 14th press release, for the full year 2022, we expect net revenues to be in the range of $400 million to $425 million, representing a decrease of approximately 14% to 9% compared to the full year 2021. Given the implied level of sales for the fourth quarter of 2022, Combined with the gross margin pressures I described earlier, we expect gross margin in the fourth quarter to be negative, albeit sequentially higher than Q3, as we do not expect to incur similar co-manufacturer termination fees. For fiscal year 2023, as we shared in our October 14th press release, 
we are targeting cash flow positive operations within the second half of 2023. To be clear, this target implies the achievement of a full quarter of positive free cash flow, defined as cash flow from operations less capital expenditures during the second half of 2023. We intend to discuss the building blocks of this objective in greater detail following our Q4 2022 earnings call next year, but for now, I will share some high-level qualitative information. Given our near-term pivot to an approach that prioritizes cash flow and profitable growth above immediate market share capture, we expect 2023 growth to exhibit ongoing pressures as we transition the business model. To drive our cash flow positive objective, therefore, there are four key levers. First, as Ethan described, we are focused on stabilizing and subsequently restoring growth within our core portfolio of refrigerated SKUs, which in turn is expected to contribute to meaningful gross margin improvement back into positive territory. To reiterate, restoring growth in our core entails closing existing distribution gaps, launching renovated and improved versions of our core SKUs, deploying strategic promotional programs aimed at drawing in new consumers and securing new doors, and focusing our marketing efforts on consumers whose receptivity to our value proposition is believed to be high. Second, we will manage our operating expenses within a tight range by adopting lean business practices and driving greater accountability among individual budget owners across the organization. Third, we will maintain a strong focus on drawing down inventory levels to free up cash from our balance sheet. And finally, fourth, we will tightly manage our CapEx budget to a level substantially below 2022 and either of the previous two years. Taken in combination, we believe these measures will serve as key enablers of our cash flow positive objective in the latter half of 2023. With that, I'll conclude my remarks and turn the call back over to the operator to open it up for your questions. Thank you. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star and then one on your touchtone phone. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. If at any time your question has been addressed and you would like to withdraw your question, please press star and then two. Please limit yourself to one question and requeue for additional questions. First question today will come from Alexia Howard of Bernstein. Please go ahead. Good evening, everyone. Um, first of all, thank you very much for uh, really focusing on how do you get back to cash flow positive. You've obviously given us a quantification of the savings from the, the two reduction in forces or the most recent reduction in force uh, that you've just put in place. But the, um, the level of cash burn is still quite high. Luby, thank you for, for going through the components, and I recognize you're going to give us more details on the fourth quarter. Is there anything else you can tell us about how much you could reduce the input cost or the COGS ingredient packaging side of things, how much the plant cost could come down by reducing the use of unnecessary co-manufacturers. Is there anything else that you can give us that will give us an idea of how much those, um, all, all of that cash, cash burn can come down by so that we can get a, some visibility into, into what the drivers are? Thank you, and I'll pass it on.
and the speaker's lines are live. I apologize. We were we were muted. Um, Alexia, I, thanks for the uh, for the question. Um, although uh, I can't provide the exact level of specificity that um, you're you're asking for, let me try to give some qualitative um, information here that hopefully will help you um, in your modeling. So, you know, we we put out a target um, to be cash flow positive within the second half of 2023. Um, clearly, there's, there isn't a path to getting there if we don't restore our gross margins back to um, positive territory. Now, we're, we're not prepared just yet to give you sort of an exact uh, target for gross margins for 2023. Um, as I said in my prepared remarks, we'll be providing more uh, detail uh, at our fourth quarter earnings call. But, you know, clearly um, restoring the gross margin back into um, sort of solidly positive um, the territory is, is high on our priority list, and it, and it entails a couple different things, um, you know, including stabilization of the core, um, right-sizing the network. Um, you know, those, those two initiatives are, are going to be very important levers um, to driving continued improvement in the gross margin, um, you know, uh, profile of the business. Um, and then, you know, obviously we, we've taken recently, you know, the difficult but necessary decision to really reduce our operating expenses and we'll continue to benefit from that um, as well as we move into next year. Um, and so, you know, those from, from a margin perspective, those are going to be the two big drivers. And then obviously there is the, um, as I said in my uh, prepared remarks, there's the, um, the inventory reduction and CapEx objectives as well that will help us get to that cash flow positive. Yeah, no, that's great, Luby. And I can just give some additional color. Um, we're obviously going to continue to bring uh, cash consumption down. Uh, I think the, the biggest and uh, broadest um, explanation that, that I think is important to drive home uh, is that when you have this drop in volume and associated deleveraging, uh, you know, things are going to start showing up in gross margin and elsewhere that are unfavorable. And you can either wait for growth to return or you can right-size your production system and your organization. And you know, I want you guys to hear directly from me. You know, we are right-sizing the organization, the operational footprint, to be able to drive the cash flow positive within the second half of next year, independent of any aggressive growth assumptions. And I think that is something that is new to our business given the you know, 12 plus years of, of, of pretty aggressive growth that we had enjoyed. I think we will enjoy again in the future. But for now, it's really about stabilizing the business based on a more reasonable uh, revenue uh, uh, growth trajectory. And, and it's exactly as, as Luby said, um, you know, in terms of making sure that uh, we see some growth uh, in the core lines of beef, uh, burger, and, and dinner, but again, uh, nothing uh, extraordinary. Um, you know, continue to reduce the uh, size of the network and eliminate idle fees, um, you know, moving certain parts of production back in-house uh, so that we can uh, improve overhead absorption, um, really aggressively managing inventory. You know, we always think about inventory as kind of sleeping money, and, you know, we need to start accessing much more of that. And there's two benefits to that, right? One is obviously you reduce um, uh, uh, inventory levels and free up the cash, but two is you can use some of that inventory to welcome new consumers into the brand at a time when they're economically stressed, and, and so we're going to, uh, some of that targeted pricing, which I can explain more, 
uh, later on the call, we're going to go ahead and, and uh, implement. Um, and then we have a whole cost down program, which actually is going quite well, and it's one that, that we've been driving. The challenge is you're not going to see those results until we move through uh, uh, some of the inventory that we have now and start to get to uh, the um, uh, conversion of raw material into products within the new uh, uh, production um, uh, system and, and, uh, and where those cost down programs have been successful. So a lot of things are in play to be able to drive us from uh, the model that we had, which was one of heavy cash consumption to one that will be cash flow creative. Our next question will come from Adam Samuelson of Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, maybe, Ethan, you kind of just alluded to get this at the end of the last answer, but some of those strategic targeted pricing actions and kind of the ability to or the target to free up inventory, um, can you provide a little bit more context and scope around what that entails kind of what you think the incremental distribution um, could be and where you think the inventory balance will end up either at the end of the fourth quarter or at the end of the first quarter um, to help to help you access the, the cash that's on the balance sheet. Sure. Thank you, Adam. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an answer that, that probably is one degree of specificity away from, from where I think you'd like it just because of competitive reasons and, and, and things of that nature. Um, so you know, part of the push toward uh, uh, cash flow positive and, and a sustainable growth model is to dramatically narrow our focus uh, within food service and retail. Um, and the, the unifying theme in terms of what we're targeting uh, are those opportunities that give us the, um, the highest probability of restoring growth while also nurturing kind of the most valuable long-term uh, pathways that we have. And so examples of that, um, you know, we have a number of QSR partners. We're narrowing our focus somewhat to, to um, a handful uh, that we're having great success with um, and, 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 uh, and want to nurture those. You know, I think there's a lot of focus on our U.S. business and our U.S. retail, appropriately so. Um, but if you look at what's going on in Europe, for example, and just focus for a moment on the, uh, the, the launches and the tests uh, that I mentioned, uh, and then as well as the permanent menu placements, uh, not only in Europe, but Latin America and in parts of um, Asia, uh, we are planting seeds that we expect to, to be pretty uh, significant um, uh, volume drivers for us uh, in the future. So we'll, we'll narrow our focus there. And then when you get into the retail space, again, a narrowing the focus toward what can we do to restore uh, growth uh, in the fresh meat case where we really believe transformation can occur. <clears throat> and an enormous amount of energy, time, and focus has gone into the third iteration of our sausage platform for the fresh case and the fourth iteration of our burger platform and beef platform. We expect to have those out. Um, I can't give a specific uh, deadline for that, um, but in a way that will be um, helpful to, to restoring growth. Now, within that, uh, there are select pricing programs, to answer your question, that we're putting in place uh, to target specific consumers. Um, and it really gets back to, again, it's a very um, uh, 
it's a time of distraction for the consumer. You know, our story right now is, I think, several layers away from uh, where the consumer's focus in terms of just basic needs. Um, and so we're tailoring our messaging to sub-segments that are probably more receptive, rather, to hear. Uh, and when it comes to health, uh, that's generally, you know, 40 and older. Uh, when it comes to um, uh, our planetary message around climate, water use, et cetera, uh, that's the much younger generation. And so, you know, coming out with these innovations and then targeting specific uh, sub-segments of the population uh, uh, with that messaging and offering some introductory pricing that gets people involved is how we're going about restoring that, uh, that fresh case. Um, then when you look at um, frozen, we've had a, uh, a good success with the tenders that we launched. I think we're up uh, about 24% or so uh, in frozen uh, last 12 weeks year over year. And, uh, and then, of course, you know, we've launched the new stage product, um, you know, that chicken tender product that I mentioned won the like, People Magazine Award of the Year or something of that, uh, that nature. And the stage product that we just launched, I think, is, is probably um, will, will be viewed by many as one of our best products. Uh, is, is also up for an award that we'll announce uh, shortly. Um, that's going into the frozen section as well as poppers and tenders. Um, on the food service side, I mentioned the QSRs, but there are also sub-segments of the food service um, industry uh, that are going to resonate, that our messaging is going to resonate more uh, uh, than, than in other sub-segments. And so we're tailoring our messaging and our focus in terms of our sales to those sub-segments, and they have to do with younger consumers, they have to do with consumers who are maybe in the healthcare system and things of that nature, and I don't want to get too much into it. But um, offering pricing in those segments that will attract the largest number of consumers to our brand at a time when pricing really matters is how we're going to deploy this pricing program. Um, you know, this, we have a lot of uh, inventory. We want to work through it, uh, and we want to welcome people into the brand. So um, I can't give you specific numbers on exactly how much inventory we're going to draw down, but you can expect us to be aggressive um, in a way that maximizes profit dollars versus uh, margin percent at the moment. Our next question today will come from Robert Moscow of Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Uh, hi, Ethan. Um, Here. Uh, it, you know, the, the script today and, and the, the task at hand, it, it's, it's a very different task than, than what um, – uh, you know, your, your vision of the company was originally, and I also think the culture of the company uh, that you've built. And, and I'm just wondering, you know, do you have the right people in place to execute this, this new kind of approach? Um, and, you know, it, it, are, are people ready to, to make this kind of pivot? Uh, do, you yeah. need, do you need to bring in different people to do it? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, thanks, Rob, for, for asking that. Um, it, is a, it is a pivot, for sure. Um, and I, I want to be very clear that it's coming from me. Um, you know, I feel very passionate about this change that we're making. Um, I, I have no doubt about the, the long-term uh, opportunity facing our company and our ability to go get it. We continue to produce the very best products, all these other things, right? What we have to do is change our mindset from one where it was growth above uh, everything else to, to now uh, pushing very quickly the business into a cash flow positive and profitable position. And that's not because I feel that I need to produce better numbers for people right now or things of that nature. It's because it's what's going to allow us to 
endure this current economic situation and reach that longer-term goal. And so um, in terms of the people that, that I have around me, um, I do think that we have a lot of the right pieces in place, and, and a lot of the language that I was using, you know, you could obviously resonate to people who are aware of the <coughs> lean literature and, and things of that nature. We have folks that have come out of the, that school of, 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 uh, of lean principles, and it's not a manufacturing mindset, it's a uh, organization-wide mindset, right? And, and so we are pushing that out throughout the organization, um, but is the number one goal. The hallmark of the way I manage our business uh, is you know, we have a high-level set of goals for a three-year period. We have a, you know, a three-year plan. We've got a one-year annual, annual operating plan. But those boil down into a set of discrete projects. The number one project for this company is to push this into a cash flow positive position by the second half of next year in, in order to accelerate profitability. Anyone who's not willing to sign up for that is not going to be very comfortable here. So it is a, a it's coming from the top. I'm very passionate about it. Uh, we have the energy here to get it done, and uh, you know, just all the intensity and focus you saw on us signing up the very best partners in the world, um, putting the best products out, uh, and growing the movement, we are now uh, shifting to, to, uh, to achieving this goal, again, so that we can realize that long-term uh, uh, vision we have for the company. You know, I have no intention of um, shifting gears in terms of what our long-term um, uh, goal is, uh, you know, we, we, we will be a, uh, you know, very large protein player globally, um, and this is a difficult period economically across uh, the country and across the world. So we are going to right-size the organization to get through it, and it's coming from me, and, and uh, we'll get it done. Our next question today will come from Cody Ross of UBS. Please go ahead. Hey, good evening. Thank you for taking our questions. Um, I just sure. want to touch a little bit, Luby. Um, you talked about a good part of your goal to become cash flow positive is to turn gross margin positive. Um, can you just remind us or give us any color on what percentage of your COGS are fixed versus variable? Um, I'm not sure that we've quantified that um, specifically. Um, but you know the, the the vast majority of our um, of our cogs uh, basket is variable of our our cogs um, cost is variable and that's a function of the um, uh, you know sort of the the co-manufacturer sort of model that that we have today and you know obviously um, a fair amount of our finished good production is still done with um, you know uh, with with our co-manufacturing partners. Um, and therefore, the only um, fixed costs that we have embedded are associated with our own facilities where we do the extrusion. Our next question today will come from Peter Sala of BTIG. Please go ahead. Great. Uh, thanks for the question. Um, Ethan, I just wanted to uh, come back to a comment you made. You said um, you guys are going to focus on gross profit dollars and not necessarily gross uh, margin percent. So maybe just if you can provide a little bit more detail on, on that, um, what will you be focusing on in terms of uh, products that drive gross profit dollars? And, and are there any products or channels that you'll be cutting that maybe were higher gross profit percent but lower on the dollar side? Just trying to kind of understand that comment in the context of what you guys gave us today. Thanks. Sure. So, so it has to do with the pricing program we're putting in place. 
on uh, uh, one of our, our items that uh, is kind of in our core. Um, and again, it's not going to be a blanket pricing for, for, for all segments, but, um, but we think it'll be meaningful for those that we apply it to. And um, you know, I wanted the team to understand that the goal there is to, 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 to drive uh, conversion inventory, uh, bring new people into uh, the category. We're obviously not going to do anything that, that would be uh, on a per unit basis negative, um, but uh, it has to do with, with, with that program. Um, you know, and I also think the days, again, gets to the change in, in, in mindset. You know, we launched the, the jerky pro product, um, great partnership with Pepsi. Um, you know, had, a, I think it's a $30 million contribution this year to revenue. Um, I think it grew the category uh, 4X or something of that nature. Um, and, and we finally crossed over into a break-even uh, situation on the margin on that. It's being obscured by these break, these um, termination fees and idle fees and things of that nature. But those days are over. Like, you know, we're not going to be launching uh, any products that, that, um, that aren't, uh, you know, uh, cash flow positive and, and margin um, uh, profit dollar uh, contrib contributors uh, at the onset. Um, and so it's, it's really about flexing where we have room in margin to flex to drive more volume, and that gets down to our core lines. Um, and, again, I don't want to specify which one. Um, or which segment we're going after, but that's the reason that I'm asking the team to focus on profit dollars right now versus uh, versus you know, versus um, percent margin. So yeah, I, yeah. I would just uh, add on top of that that you know we are we're being very targeted uh, with these programs, and you know we're looking at number one as as Ethan um, alluded to, we're we're looking at some of our core SKUs where we um, you know continue to have uh, pretty strong margins on those already, and so. You know, these, these won't be, um, you know, uh, negative margin, you know, from a unit pr um, perspective. But we're also looking at our core products where there are existing distribution gaps and where we have an opportunity to maybe secure new points of distribution um, by doing some, uh, some kind of a special program, um, you know, bring in new consumers who maybe haven't tried, um, you know, uh, these types of products or our brand before. So, so it's, it's, a, it's a targeted um, type of program, um, and um, it, it, uh, as Ethan said, it is, these are cash flow accretive, uh, you know, assuming we get the lifts, right, uh, these, the, these are still cash flow accretive um, activity because we'll be covering um, our variable costs. Our next question today will come from Michael Lavery of Piper Sandler. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good evening. Um, I just wanted to come back to fixed costs. I, I know um, we've touched on this a little bit, but for some of these um, underutilization penalties or, or for the new headquarters, which I think the rent starts at around $15 million a year and then builds, so there's, it's, you know, it's a meaningful outlay in terms of, of your spend. How much flexibility do you have on terminating or changing any of these contracts or you know, do you, are you committed to the headquarters building? Is there a better way to think about how to run, you know, uh, set that up? What's some of the flexibility you might have? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so we have kind of four buckets that we're looking at of, of um, <clears throat> kind of agreements and, and um, things that we entered into, you know, uh, several years ago um, uh, uh, that, that, you know, comported more with uh, the kind of growth curve that we're seeing then. 
that you know we're just going to have to have the tough discussions with those partners about about how to to to, uh, to address it, and we're we're doing doing that now. On the headquarter question itself, we're just consolidating a bunch of leases, so we're we're, we're pushing forward in that direction, getting out of of the buildings we've been in, um, subleasing some of them, things of that nature, um, and uh, and so. I don't think we'll change course on the, the headquarters, but we will consolidate in, into them, and that's, I think, an important step. I mean, people, I think many people have commented on the disruptive aspect of the pandemic and, uh, you know, distributed workforces. In our kind of work, we're, we're you know, pushing and, and, and uh, you know, churning out the best products in the world and doing it under tight timelines. We need everyone together, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm very much committed to making sure that happens. Um, but the kind of idle fee things and things of that nature, um, you know, we're doing a few things there. Um, one would be trying to consolidate uh, some of our production to areas where we do have idle fees to, to make sure that we're not um, you know, uh, spending uh, anything that's unnecessary for production. Um, and then having those conversations, right? I mean, think that the world has changed um, and everyone needs to play a part uh, as our partner. So uh, it's a big, big focus for me. Our next question today will come from Rupesh Parrott of Oppenheimer. Please go ahead. Good evening, and thanks for taking my question. So just on international markets, I was curious, have you guys have you know, reviewed the business? Any thought of actually exiting any international markets to more quickly rationalize the business? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I, mean, I think in Europe you'll, you'll start to see as, as some of the inventory um, uh, gets eroded, um, uh, you know, can't predict the future there, obviously, but um, we see some trends that we like. Uh, there's an overhang of inventory. Um, in China, uh, it's so early to tell what's going on there because they're just coming out of all these, you know, uh, lockdowns and, you know, they, they come out and then they go back in and, and things of that nature. What we are doing, though, is reducing uh, expense throughout uh, our, our global operation and, and relying more heavily on partners. We have a terrific partner in Europe, uh, uh, Zandbergen, um, and we're working very closely with them uh, to continue to serve uh, and, 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 and grow the, the, um, the, the longer-term opportunity for beyond uh, in Europe, but do it in a way that's maybe a little bit more asset-like. And then in China, um, without you know, getting into too much, we're, we're looking at some similar opportunities there. The next question today will come from Peter Galvo of Bank of America. Please go ahead. Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking the question. Um, Luby, just, just a really quick one. Uh, appreciate that you've given kind of a, a qualitative look at, at 23 revenues, but maybe just so that we're all on the same page, can we kind of just outline some of the puts and takes that get you to, you know, a, a, a still kind of compressed revenue next year? I think I, I heard from you. Um, you know, obviously rationalizing some of the footprint across QSRs and some retail partners, focusing more on the core. Um, you know, I think you'll be lapping the, the jerky kind of load in from the first half of this year going into next year. But then I, I, I would think on the positive side of the ledger, you know, you'll have some load in on, on steak and popcorn chicken. So just wanted to understand all of the puts and takes as we start to think about, again, from a high level, um, where revenues could shake out for, for 23. Thanks. Sure, I think you actually answered your own question, but um, you know there is uh, certainly you know if you look at where the um, uh, the trends have been in the business um, recently, and and you know we've started to see um, some increased pressure in our international um, markets um, as well. Uh, 
you know, that, that stuff is not going to turn on a dime, right? And so uh, I think in the near term, there's going to continue to be some, some pressure, you know, particularly you look in the, um, in the first half of, of next year. But then, you know, as we've been discussing, right, we have a number of these initiatives that are really focused on, um, you know, stabilizing and eventually restoring growth within, within our core. Um, this includes things like, um, you know, launching the, the new iterations of, of some of our key um, core SKUs. And so when you look at uh, those activities as well as, um, to your point, uh, start to layer on a bigger contribution from things like steak and popcorn chicken um, and uh, potential other new launches, um, we do expect that, you know, the, some of the pressure that we we expect to feel in the first half of the year should abate as we get to, to the second half. So I know that's, um, you know, not overly specific, but, you know, hopefully that gives you some sort of idea about how we're thinking about it. Our next question today will come from John Baumgartner of Mizuho. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. Thanks for the question. Um, Thank you. you know, Ethan, I, I wanted to dig into innovation because it, it, it's hard to think that there isn't cannibalization, whether it's meatballs versus ground beef, ground beef versus patties, and you're renovating products, but you're also launching the fourth iteration of, of ground beef. And the competition's moved on to frozen meals, protein bowls. They're hitting new need states, going from commodity to value add. Why isn't Beyond also moving away from commodity products? Like, you know, why wouldn't that benefit you more than trying to migrate consumers from like you know, a beef 3.0 to a beef 4.0? I'm just trying to think bigger picture about what you can do need state-wise to get revenue growth back into the model? Yes, yeah, a very good question. So um, I think the, the, the move you've seen from us on Frozen is in part responsive to that, and you'll see more of that from us in the Frozen space in terms of convenience and things like that, and without you know, dealing too much. Uh, I don't think that that, um, that that part of your question is in any way uh, not consistent with where we're headed. But on the question about the core, um, you know, we, we really do believe, and we've seen this, that, you know, our products continue to get closer to animal protein, right, in terms of the taste and texture and sensory experience. Um, as we drive down the cost, and BCG did a nice study on this, you know, that consumers want to do this. They just don't want to pay more for it, right? And so, you know, we have to continue to drive toward, uh, you know, taste parity, which we're getting closer on. Uh, and then realize this uh, this cost goal that we've had, which which uh, which I think we're still going to hit within the time frame that I specified, and at least one product in one category. And the Taco Bell um, carne asada is a good example of that. That's on the menu. It's the same price of steak. Um, and so I'm not going to walk away from that massive global opportunity around beef, pork, and poultry with the, just the core cuts of that, right? The grounds, things of that nature, um, because I, I'm certain that um, as we hit uh, price parity with that, as the products become uh, indistinguishable, um, as the climate situation worsens, as people get a clear sense of uh, what the real health benefits are, and I want to actually just use this as a moment to talk about that, the real health benefits are of our products, uh, this conversion will happen. Uh, and so I got to make sure, and I'm very committed to making sure that Beyond is the absolute best in that category. Um, there's huge volume and uh, value creation opportunity if we can do that. So in the near term, I've seen competitors go and launch, you know, value-added meals, things of that nature, and that's fine. And uh, I'm not saying we're not going to do that, and I'm not saying we're not going to invest in frozen. We certainly are. But the transformative growth 
is in the refrigerated meat case and it's in these QSR relationships, those are the ones that are going to drive home this transition. And, you know, I acknowledge I probably swung too hard at that, uh, you know, at the beginning of the company's uh, entry into those markets. Um, I didn't expect the pandemic or, or, or this high inflation. Um, but it doesn't mean that over the long run those things uh, aren't going to come to fruition. And, again, I would point everybody to you know, I think we've done, uh, what did I mention on the call, um, you know, 25 distinct launches in the last 12 months, nine different products in 18 countries, and you know, I, I listed the different permanent menu placements we're getting. That's where the you know, 30 to $40 billion revenue uh, company is going to come from. I don't think it's going to come from uh, you know, the next spaghetti and meatball frozen bowl. Uh, not to say we're not going to do it, but I think this core focus is the right one. Our next question today will come from Ben Thera of Barclays. Please go ahead. Thank you very much, and uh, good evening, everyone. Um, I wanted to follow up on your comments you just made around uh, the, the pricing and the getting to price parity, and it really feels like if we just look and dig into the sales versus volume that you uh, that you share in the press release that there's been already a lot of investment, uh, particularly on the international side, uh, and it's tough to uh, follow data points. So maybe you can help us understand where you stand right now in terms of the price premium versus your, call it, commodity peers, particularly on the international side. Yeah. Uh, so we're, 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 we're a couple of things. Um, one of the, 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 the things that's just requiring patience is, you know, we've been able to affect, sorry, we've been able to realize uh, pathways to significant savings in our production that are just congested right now because we, we have inventory that we have to draw down in order for the uh, you know, new production, new sourcing, all that stuff to come to fruition, right? And so there's just a, uh, a backlog uh, in terms of being able to show the cost down measures that we've taken. Um, in internationally, I'm not to be very honest, we're just too expensive right now, right? Uh, part of the pricing actually took in Europe uh, is because of that. Um, but I was just getting, I got a text early this morning from a friend, uh, former colleague, uh, head of sales, one of our divisions here, uh, who was in um, Israel, and, and he was saying just how incredibly expensive our products are there, and I heard the same thing about Singapore recently. And so um, you know, we, we have to drive better coordination across our distribution network, across um, our retailers, uh, about not uh, driving the price up. Um, you know, even in the U.S., uh, you know, I think a lot of the contraction you've seen, it's not all, but a lot of the contraction you've seen, you know, if you go into the store, on average, three dollars more than a than a than a than a, than a, a pound of beef. Uh, the consumer is clearly signaling as they go to the dollar store and everywhere else that that's just not what they're going to do today. So uh, again, I get back to the BCG study, back to the, the 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 vision I've had for the company since I started it. That we've got to get this to be at price parity. And I think it's interesting. You know, <clears throat> there's so much, and I understand it's sort of human nature uh, desire to call this thing one way or the other. Right? They say, well, the public can go for this or not. Uh, yet the dynamics are not yet in place to answer that question. Right? You know, let, let the economy settle. Let us get our price point at parity. Then let's see what happens. Right? And, and so you know, if a launch doesn't go well with a QSR, the sky is falling. Well, how about it? maybe it was priced too high? 
maybe it wasn't the right build, right? Things of that nature. So it's not binary, and we just have to keep chopping away at this thing, you know, and we'll get to the point where uh, you'll see that kind of accelerated growth again. But we've got a lot to navigate right now, and I want to make sure we stabilize the company to be able to do that, and that's what I'm focused on. Our next question will come from Rebecca Schoenemann of Morningstar. Please go ahead. Uh, great. Thank you for squeezing me in. So um, my question really stems from the, um, the $7.2 million fees that was in um, the gross margin. So I'm trying to get a sense for how much of that will, you know, be continuing into other quarters or, or how much was truly one time. It, it seems like, you know, if it's a termination fee, that that would be one time. But, you know, maybe some of these um, uh, underutilizations would be ongoing. So I would just like some clarity on, on how much of this we can um, expect to continue forward as, as long as we're in this kind of softer environment. Thank you. That's a good question. So, I mean, you're right. The majority was a the termination, but doesn't. But there are these continuing um, capacity fees, and 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 we're reorienting the network uh, to be able to absorb some of those, so they're not just going to to, uh, to non-productive use. Um, and uh, and then we're also, you know, just in negotiation, right? Um, but if you look at what's happened in the industry, I mean, I, I find this interesting just from a disruption perspective and how categories expand and then contract and expand again. You, know, you saw um, JBS close entirely their Plantera uh, um, uh, effort here, like 125 people, whole facility in Denver. Uh, I don't know who listened to, to my friend Michael's um, uh, commentary yesterday um, at, at Maple Leaf. Um, you know, I think they took $190 million uh, uh, goodwill charge on, uh, on their plant protein business and um, impairment, rather. And uh, you know, had also I think 22.5% negative margin. So there's just a there's so much volatility right now uh, in this in this uh, category, um, given the broader economic issues and things of that nature. Um, and so you're going to run into if you, if you design a business for a year to say you're going to get I'll make up the number 150 million in revenue or something for a quarter and it drops dramatically, you are going to have idle fees, you're going to have excess capacity, you're going to have lower absorption of overhead all these knock-on effects, and we're feeling those. And, you know, instead of just saying, I'm going to cross my fingers and hope for growth to return, we're in that process of negotiation, in that process of reducing the operations footprint temporarily to be able to, you know, uh, uh, produce better margin uh, without uh, any significant resumption of growth. Our next question will come from Ken Zaslow of Bank of Montreal. Please go ahead. Yeah, real quick question. Of your program, which of the four steps that you have do you think is most at risk or out of your control, and which ones do you think you have the most control over? So I think Luby was referring specifically to, to four of the kind of financial levers he's pulling. The, the, the program that we have is, is, is three steps. It's, you know, obviously to drive home the uh, reduction um, uh, in, uh, in, in OPEX, um, and that one I think uh, we feel uh, comfortable uh, with. I think the, um, uh, you know, getting the cash flow positive really depends on, um, uh, you know, not only uh, discipline there, uh, but also working through our inventory, which is the second step. Uh, and then third, which is probably the one that we have the least control over, 
is the result of the execution of our focus growth strategy. You know, we're narrowing down our focus to uh, some key retail activities and some key food service activities and some key QSR partners. It's a much narrower scope than we've had in the past, uh, but we think those are the, the kind of, you know, 80-20 rule. Those are the ones that are going to drive growth. Um, if the economy continues to worsen, uh, you know, if we don't connect with the consumer in the right way, uh, you know, that, that could be something where there's risk. But again, we're not structuring the business for that, where that has to happen at some sort of dramatic level. We're going to structure the business differently, right, where, where those, if there's, even if there's some moderate growth, I mean very moderate, uh, we'll be able to achieve the goals that we're, we're talking about. And what I like about that is that as these things that have been percolating and that we've been planting the seeds quarter after quarter, the 25 distinct launches, the nine distinct products, the 18 countries, you know, the Taco Bell stuff here in the U.S., the, the Panda Express here in the U.S., the McDonald's in Europe, the, you know, uh, Pizza Hut in, in Latin America. As those things start to move from kind of the test phase into much broader uh, utilization, those just become up, upside for business that has been right-sized. And I think that's where the value creation in this environment will occur. And ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we will conclude our question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Ethan Brown for any closing remarks. I think I've said it all, uh, what I wanted to convey. Um, it is a pivot in our business model. It's, um, it's a pivot from uh, you know, kind of growth uh, above all to, to um, cash flow positive and sustainable growth. Um, I'm very excited about it. Um, it's, uh, it's something I think is going to produce uh, the long-term results that we've been after. Uh, and do so in a way that's um, that's that's more efficient, um, and I look forward to building it together. Thanks. The conference has now concluded, and we thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect your lines.